All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome, Upcountry Calvary. Welcome, everyone. Uh, if you can grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to return once again into our study here. And um, as uh, Jared already prayed, we're going to get right into this. But you know what? I was thinking about how it's so great to be able to learn God's Word. And as we study God's Word, we learn it. And as we learn it, it gets into us. As it, as it gets into us, as we understand more and more, it changes us. It transforms us. So uh, I'm just excited to get into our passage today, or tonight, I should say. Tonight, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be talking about the Good Samaritan. And that's the title of our message, actually. I read about this Keiki Church teacher who was telling her class the story of the Good Samaritan, and she described the incident where a man had been severely beaten, robbed, and then left for dead. She described the situation in such like vivid detail that her students could visualize the whole drama as if they were right there. So she was really good at teaching the kids here. Well, then at the end of the story, she posed this question. She asked the class, if you saw a person lying on the roadside, all wounded and bleeding, what would you do? Well, one little girl broke the silence and said, I think I'd throw up. (laughs) Probably not a pretty sight in how she described it. Well, this is what we're going to talk about, the Good Samaritan. And again, Luke chapter 10. And this story really covers from verse 25 through 37. And that's going to be our passage tonight. And within this passage, I've broken it up to three sections, and this is our outline. Number one, the inquisition. Number two, the illustration. And number three, the implementation. So that's our outline for tonight. Uh, For those of you taking notes, uh, I'll go back over our outline and heading. You'll see it on the screen too. But let's begin here with number one, the inquisition. The inquisition. Now, we're going to be covering verses 25 through 28 in this section. If you're taking notes, you can jot that down. But let's begin here. We'll pick it up with verse 25. Verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 And it reads here, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we begin here with this lawyer. This lawyer comes on the scene. Now, the lawyer here really speaking about one of the religious leaders. He's he's this expert on the Old Testament law. He's an expert on the Psalms. He's the expert on the prophets. He's an expert on all the Jewish traditions and, and, and all of what has been written down so far in the Jewish commentaries and the Mishnah, everything. He's this expert. They call him a lawyer because he knows everything about the Law, like the law of Moses. Now, pretty much these guys were what we also call as scribes. Scribes are the ones who copied the scriptures and made copies of them. They made sure it was perfect. So this is this lawyer guy. And these scribes, many of them were also Pharisees. So they were religious leaders themselves. So here's this lawyer who we read here uh, stood up. Now, This lawyer is also part of the Jewish leadership. He's well-respected. He held position, authority, and now now he stands up here. So most likely, Jesus is probably 
teaching, he finished teaching, and it was custom that sometimes people would stand up and ask a question. So perhaps Jesus was finished teaching, and as was custom, he stood up in the middle of the whole crowd to ask this question. But notice, he asked him, it says here, Luke makes a comment here in verse 25, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, that is Jesus, to put Jesus to the test. Now, the word test here is the Greek word ekaperoso, and it, it's the same tense, or, or, or it's using this word in the same way when Jesus was tempted by the devil or tested by the devil. And so this word ekperioso, uh, it means refusing, basically refusing to believe until satisfied with what they hear or see. So he's like testing him, seeing if, ah, uh, let's see if I really believe you, or really receive you, or really give you credit here. So this is the way, this is the idea, taking the original language, this is the way the lawyer approaches Jesus and asks this question. Now this question is a great question, right? I mean, in verse 25, teacher, that's like saying rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, what a great question. How can I assure myself that I will have a place in heaven eternally? I mean, that's a great question for anyone to ask even today. But the thing is, when Luke puts that he, the lawyer stood up to put him to put Jesus to the test, is this guy really sincere? We're not sure, but we kind of get that feeling here. And I would tend to lean or believe that because that's what this word test means. So, so it's like the lawyer's approaching. He's asking a great question. Hey, how, how can I share my place in heaven? I have eternal life. You know, It's like, though, in the back of his mind, it's like, let's see if Jesus is correct in what I am an expert in. Remember, he's this lawyer. So it's kind of like, I'm going to test you, Jesus. Let, let's see if you're right about this. You know, Let's see if, if, if you're really correct in what I'm an expert in. So really the lawyer tests Jesus to find something he can use against him. That's what's really going on. And, and that's why he's approaching this way. This is why this is the Inquisition. The Pharisees were already unhappy with Jesus, right? Remember Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's heading to the cross now. And the crowds are following him. They didn't like that. He, Jesus was popular. They didn't like that. Uh, his doctrine didn't really go along like with how the Pharisees wanted to couch it. And and so uh, they didn't like that because it didn't support their lifestyle. And so they weren't into Jesus that much. And and, and actually their position is, as religious leaders were threatened by Jesus. And so they're already thinking about getting rid, rid of Jesus anyway. And they don't like him. So here's this lawyer, one of the group of these religious leaders and all. And he, he, he's here now. So I'm trying to put this kind of feeling or idea going on, what's coming off of this guy. I believe this guy is here sitting in on the teaching and looking for something to use against Jesus so later to accuse Jesus and condemn him. So this is the whole air of all this. So he's here more to judge Jesus rather than believe in Jesus. And so he's only looking for the wrong and, and not really listening for the truth. So can you imagine, here's this lawyer, he stands up, asks the question. He's standing there, 
fingers in his three-piece robe, Pharisee robe, right? You know, kind of thing. His beard all trimmed out, wearing his Pharisee hat, standing with this air of, I'm this holy priest, yeah? I'm the one in authority. I'm going to test you now, Jesus. Let's see what you will say. Well, let's go on here now to through verse 20, from verse 26 through uh, 27. So he says, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus kind of flips things back on him. Jesus actually gives him a test. He's, he answers with a question. He says, well, what's written in the law? I mean, how do you read it? In other words, you know, how do you see it? Let's see, let's see what, what you know. Well, the lawyer, of course, and when Jesus poses it that way, he could not pass up the opportunity to show off, really, his knowledge, to show off himself of he's this expert he's this lawyer in front of the whole crowd so what he does when he says in verse 27 you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind he's actually quoting deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 he's actually like quoting scripture why well, i'll i'll tell you i'll tell you what i know this is what's important this is this is what it is and then when he says and your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's actually quoting Leviticus 19.28. So he can rattle this off. He knows these things. He's a lawyer. He's this expert of the law. So then Jesus responds, look in verse 28. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So Jesus acknowledges, Hey, you're right. That's, that, that, that's, that's it. That's what it is. But then Jesus kind of turns this on him and says, do these things and you know what? You will live. Oh, I wonder what he thought. Do this? What do you mean? I'm a a lawyer. I'm a a Pharisee. I do these things perfectly, right? What are you saying to me? Well, Jesus is really saying, if you do this perfectly, then you will have eternal life in heaven. We know that in, a, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35 to 40, and another lawyer had asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? And Jesus had answered in the same way. So, so we know, they know this. This has been what's going around. Jesus has been presenting these things. And see, in both circumstances, Jesus was trying to get these lawyers to see that, you know, they've fallen short in perfection. That they, 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 are not following up to these things. They're not really living this out to what they think they are doing. And as Jesus presents this, he's not like trying to condemn them or look, hey, you you guys are phonies, all this. I mean, there was times he kind of put that out. But he was really trying to reach them. He was trying to show them their need for a savior of their own sins. Paul wrote in Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul was talking about that's what the law is there for. Nobody could live the law perfectly, the law of Moses. There's no way. We, We can't live our whole life living every law of God perfectly without sinning. 
There's no way. We're sinners. We have a sinful flesh. So the law was brought in to actually tell us what is right from wrong. Without the law, we wouldn't know what's right, what's wrong, what does God require, what does God, you know, uh, uh, what is it that he really wants from us for us to go to heaven. So here's Jesus calling the lawyer out, says, yeah, that's right, that's what it is. That's what God says, but you know what, you've got to live that perfectly. So go do that and live. And so that must have caught him off guard, like, wait, wait, I'm a Pharisee, I do these things. But Jesus did that on purpose to call him out, to make him see his own a lack of perfection so that he would see that, you know what, the law is to show you your sin so that you come to a place of Savior. So what we see here is Jesus reaches out in compassion to the heart of one who is being somewhat combative. And I like that. Even though this guy is standing up, he has these motives, Jesus is still trying to reach him. Yeah? Jesus is try, trying with compassion trying to reach his heart. Yeah? He's like, well, I know this, I know that, but Jesus is trying to reach the heart of one, even who's being somewhat combative. You know, I remember one time my wife and I were discussing something about one of our kids, and I think I was just focused all on the logic, the black and whiteness of, of this situation, until my wife reminded me of my child's heart. And I thought, oh, Oh, okay, okay. I realize I can lose compassion when I forget about what's going on in their heart. Yeah? Sometimes we're all up here, but we miss what might be down in here. And that's what Jesus is trying to bring this lawyer to look at, the heart. What's really in there? I mean, in his mind, he could think these and have it perfectly together. But here, in the heart, it's lacking. And that's where he's failing. And as we go on this story, we can see that. We'll see that he lacks the compassion of his heart. In his head, he's like, well, I got it all together. I got this. I have everything checked out. But in his heart, that's where the Pharisees really fail. You know, it's been said the longest distance is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. Don't miss this, right? Sometimes we can have it all in here, but not Sometimes we can think that, okay, we get it together here, but our heart behind here is really messed up. Don't let what you think, yeah, not uh, uh, really travel down here to your motives, your, your, your passion, your, your everything behind in what you do. Don't just let in your mind like, well, I got this together, I can do this, but then in your heart it's not the same as what's going on in what you think is in your head. So, in other words, think about it this way. Don't let just knowing about Jesus, right, stop in your head. it got to get into your heart too, right? You can say, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I know, I know. But is, has Jesus your heart? That's that 18 inches. And you know what? Some people miss heaven by those 18 inches. So Jesus wants to do just that get to the lawyer's heart here so with that background just think about this as we get into our passage this is what jesus is trying to do to tell this lawyer about this story about the good samaritan so this is the inquisition the lawyer comes up with this inquisition this question uh, testing jesus 
Well, let's go on to number two, the illustration. The illustration. Now, we're going to cover verse 29 through 35 here. Verse 29 through 35. So, verse 29 starts out, But he, desiring, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So, now the lawyer turns it back on Jesus. <laughs> so, he turns the question back on Jesus and said, Well, Who's my neighbor? In other words, tell me your definition of who, who are neighbors. Tell me how, who, who that is. Uh, in other words, tell me your definition and I'll tell you, you know what, how perfectly I follow the, these, this commandment. Uh, that's why Luke says the lawyer right here, right in verse 29, he says, and he desiring to justify his actions. Or justify himself. He, he's trying to justify, I'm a lawyer, I do things perfectly. Why don't you tell me who, 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 you know, who, who, who is the neighbor? Who, what's this talking about? Interpret this, you know, and I'll show you that I follow those things to A.T. So the lawyer really is getting ready to show how holy he is, thinking that Jesus sees things as he sees it. Yeah? As he def defines what a neighbor is and how he loves that neighbor, he, he just thinks, well, Jesus is going to see it in the same way. And understand how this lawyer, scribes, Pharisees, how they define what a neighbor is, how they define loving your neighbor. See, they put borders upon that love. They define who their neighbor is by anyone who is like, as righteous as they are. That, that's really the idea. I mean, that means like Gentiles, they're not, they're not my neighbor. I don't have to love them because they're, they're, they're the ones cast into the fire. They're not saved. Yeah. Or uh, who, who's my neighbor? Well, not the lepers. They're unclean, right? So I don't have to love them. Uh, the sick and diseased, the poor, no, not. They're not neighbors. I don't have to do anything. Tax collectors, no way. Yeah, they're sinners. They, 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 they're betraying their own people working for the Romans. So they're not my neighbor. So they drew borders around what that meant. Love your neighbor? Well, neighbors are ones like me. That's what their definition was. See, in his, his eyes, he followed that commandment perfectly because that's the way he thought was the definition of a neighbor. And so he's asking Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? He's expecting Jesus to say, he goes, well, I do that. And he's thinking about, yeah, I'll show up. But then look now, verse 30 and through 32. Look what Jesus says. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now stop there. Isn't this interesting? Jesus didn't just say, well, this is my definition of what a neighbor is and, and who we love. He went into this illustration. So this is the illustration, this is the story, this is this picture of really what Jesus thinks, of what God thinks, what their definition of 
a neighbor is. So, we see here in verse 30 now, verse 30, Jesus, there was a man. Now, this man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So, he's coming from Jerusalem. He's traveling to Jericho. So, most likely, this is a Jewish man. Most likely, coming from Jerusalem. Most likely, he, he is, uh, maybe he went to worship, yeah, the Lord at the temple. And so, he's going home. And he's heading home. And so, most likely, this man is a Jewish man. And then, on the road, right, he fell among robbers. In other words, he got mugged. These robbers jumped out, they, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and when he departed, they left him half dead, laying there on the road. Now, uh, on the road to, to and from Jerusalem, you know, it's dangerous. There's, there's a lot of thieves, and they're looking for people, they can grab money, you know, and they can beat people up. and all. It's, it's dangerous to travel alone. That's why, remember in Luke chapter 2, when... Um, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus because they thought Jesus was with some other family members. That's why whenever uh, people travel and they're going to the festivals or you know the celebrations in Jerusalem or the feast they have to honor God with and worship, they go in a group as a family because it was dangerous. Well, this guy, for whatever reason, he traveled alone and because of that, these robbers took advantage and they robbed him, stripped him, beat him, left him for dead. So, here's this guy lying on the road, right? Lying on the road. And verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, here's this priest. Uh, maybe he was heading from the temple also, you know, from Jerusalem and going home. He had done his duty there and he's, he's leaving, going home. I don't know, maybe he was heading toward there anyway. But do you notice he purposely, he saw him. It wasn't that, oh, I didn't even notice he was laying in the road. No, he saw him, right, on the road, left half dead, and he passed by. He went on the other side of the road. He went around him. He then come up to him. He didn't check on him. He just avoided him altogether. Now, what is that? Most likely, this priest thought this guy was dead. He was half dead. He was down on the road. So, so for a priest to touch a dead person would make him ritually unclean. And so uh, maybe he didn't want to touch him. Maybe, maybe he didn't want, you know, I just came from the temple. And then if this happens, I'm going to go back. or I'm going to be unclean for a week. I, you know, forget this. So, so he avoided the guy, right? It was inconvenient to really help him. So he left him, went around the other side and went on his way. Then Jesus says, verse 32, So likewise, a Levite, now, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. This Levite did the same thing. A Levite is like this assistant to the priest. Uh, they're, they're like priests too. Uh, they're helping out in the temple of the main priest. They're, they do the music and attend to a, a lot of duties there in the temple, all sacrifices, things like that. So he, he's like a priest too. He's assistant to the priest. He saw the guy lying on the road, did the same thing, going by on the other side. Maybe it was the same reason because of the priest. Maybe he didn't want to be ritually unclean, touch a dead body. Maybe he was in a hurry. Huh? Maybe he was behind schedule. Maybe... Maybe he's like, sometimes we think, oh, someone else will help him. 
<laughs> right? So either way, both of these guys, they did not stop and left that guy on the road. Sadly, think about this. Those, this priest, this Levite, these high-level religious right, uh, servants, ministers of the Lord, those who are supposed to represent God had no compassion to stop and help the man. How sad. How sad is that? A number of years ago, a woman collapsed to the floor of an emergency waiting room at a psychiatric hospital in New York City. No one noticed that she had fallen to the floor for almost one hour. People were streaming in and out. Even a security guard had walked by. But by the time the staff attended to this woman, she had died. Isn't that crazy? I read another story you know, a few years back in Washington, D.C. A homeless man was attacked, left on the sidewalk for 19 minutes before anyone called the police. A security camera caught you know, this guy on the ground, and it went, when they watched it, they saw numerous people come by, stop, look at him, and then went on their way. So sad. Eventually, attempts to help the man were too little, the article said, and too late, and he later died. I mean, that actually happens today. Well, this is what Jesus is talking about here, back in this time with this Jewish guy in this illustration. Well, let's go on here now. Verse 33. Jesus goes on with this story. He says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now that's a key word here, you guys. Compassion. That's why I said earlier, Jesus had compassion on the Pharisee or this lawyer trying to reach him. Yeah. So here's the Samaritan. He had compassion on this guy. He felt for the guy. He, he knew he was in need. He wanted to help an, this fellow human being. So verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him and whatever more you spend i will repay you when i come back now stop there so jesus continues on the illustration here on this story and he says so this priest came this levi came and then this samaritan came along all right let's stop here for a second remember who the samaritan is right the Samaritan, we talked about this, I think, a few weeks or so ago. Remember, Samaritans were hated by the Jews, right? And so, so remember the Samaritans, that they hated the Jews too. And the Jews hated the Samaritans, and they hated each other. Remember, Samaritans were like Hapa Jews. goes back maybe hundreds and hundreds of years, 400 years when the northern kingdom was taken over by the uh, nation of Assyria. And then they intermarried, and that was the Samaritans. They're like this Hapa race. And so the pure-blooded Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like the Jews because the Jews didn't like them. And there was always a few. The, Jew, the Samaritans said, no, well, our, our place is where God wants us to worship. Uh, the Jews said, no, it's over at the temple. No, and this is what we do for worship. Jews said, no, this is what we do for worship. So they were always fine. They didn't like each other at all. So think about this. 
a Samaritan sees this man half dead, a, and I believe, a Jewish man. That's why that word compassion is so huge. His compassion broke down any borders yeah, that might have been between the two races, so to speak. Yeah? But the need of this Jewish man yeah, outweighed whatever went on between the two races. And he had compassion. And he took action. He took action here. I, I mean, look, look what he did. I mean, this, this is amazing. He, he um, went to him. That was great. Yeah. He didn't go on the other side of the road. He went straight to him, bound up his wounds, like bandaged him up. He was, he, and, you know, with, he, he took care of his wounds, basically. Pouring oil. Oil is like soothing. It, it takes away the pain. Wine, probably like the alcoholic content in it to, to kill any infection, you know, any bacteria. So he bandages up, takes bandage him up, takes care of all the wounds wounds and everything. Then he put him on his own animal. In other words, his, his own donkey. Maybe he was riding. Because this guy couldn't walk. So he puts him on the donkey, carries him, brought him to an inn in this nearby town and took care of him there. And then the next day, he took two denarii out. Now, Remember, one denarii we learned the other Sunday is a day's wage. So he took two, two days' wages, right? Paid the innkeeper basically for room and board, right? Take care of him, whatever, whatever more you spend, I'll, I'll repay if it costs more. Yeah? And, and so this guy, he pays for his stay, his recovery, basically, one commentator said that this probably covered for um, the expenses, room and board and everything, and care for about two weeks, a few weeks. So, I mean, this guy was probably pretty bad off and he needed a lot of recovery time. Yeah? So this is amazing. His own money and, and even said, I'll pay more if need be. So do you see how this Samaritan went beyond the borders of what was known between Jews and Samaritans, crossed that border and helped his hurting, I would say, enemy in need. That's why this is a story of the good Samaritan. Yeah? He's not a bad one that would probably would just, oh, a Jewish guy, I'm just going to leave him on the side of the road. But he unselfishly went out of his way to help this man. In the notes of the King James, K, K, KJV Study Bible, in the note portion in that, that Bible, it said this. The thief said, what yours is mine, I'll take it. The priest and the Levite reasoned, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. But the Samaritan said, what's mine is yours, and I'll share it. I love that. Yeah? And so uh, that's this heart of this guy. And this is what I want you to see. This good Samaritan shows who his neighbor is. Anyone, anyone in need, no matter friend or enemy, race or status. That's the good Samaritan. That's what he shows. He shows, this. here's a definition. Here's his definition. Oh, you know who my neighbor is? Anyone. No matter 
if they're a friend, if they're an enemy, no matter what race, no matter what status, no matter. Yeah? I'm going to help anyone in need. I was thinking about, remember the, the state farm insurance commercials and the jingle? Like a good neighbor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> State Farm is there. <laughs> yeah, I heard you singing online too. No. <laughs> but you know what comes down to? The real question for us too is how do you define who your neighbor is? How, do you, how would you define that? Would it be like this lawyer, this Pharisee? Or would it be like, you know, uh, uh, um, the Samaritan? My, if I were to say this, my neighbor is someone who blank, what would you put in there? A lot of times we define our neighbor like this. My neighbor is someone who helped me in the past, I'm going to be neighborly to them. But if they didn't, I'm, I don't need to. Yeah. My neighbor is someone who, as long as I don't have to drive, I'll help you. <laughs> right? I, I won't go that far. My neighbor is someone who I can only help, let's say, between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. <laughs> my neighbor is someone who is, this is what people say, is part of my race. Yeah? My neighbor is, you know what, only the local brothers. Yeah? Some people are like that. My neighbor is someone who's at my social level. Yeah? Or my neighbor is, oh, you know, if you're as holy as me, then okay. Yeah, I'll help you. My neighbor is someone who, you know what, hasn't gotten me mad. And I haven't written them off yet. That's really what we can become like. And we forget about what went on here with the Good Samaritan. So listen, the Good Samaritan shows us who is our neighbor, right? Anyone, anyone underlying, anyone in need. No, no matter, we should have compassion, shouldn't we? I mean, on any human being right, in need, we should have that compassion no matter who it is. And this is what Jesus illustrates. This is what Jesus shows. This is Jesus giving this story, this illustration. So that's his definition. This is how God defines my neighbor. And we find it right here in the Good Samaritan. Well, let's go on. We've seen the inquisition, the illustration, and now the implementation. We really come to the application here for this guy. Third heading, the implementation, and this is the last two verses tonight. Verse 36, it says, Which of these, Jesus asked the lawyer now, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, that's the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So Jesus asked the lawyer, Well, which, which, which do you think proved to be, you know what, a real neighbor? That, that's what he's really asking. And the man answered, well, the one who showed him mercy. Now, that's the right answer, right? Who showed him mercy? The priest didn't. The Levite didn't. But it was the Samaritan. But do you notice something here? He did not use that word. 
Jesus used the word several times, the Samaritan, the Samaritan. Right? But this lawyer said, oh, no, the, the, the guy, yeah, the one who showed him mercy. He did not bring himself to use the words, the Samaritan. So, I believe he was hesitant. I believe he was still kind of reluctant, like, ah, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, he was still not totally uh, understanding. But what else could he say in this story, right? I mean, this is pretty obvious. No one would say otherwise. Remember, he's standing there in the middle of this crowd. They're having this dialogue after Jesus is teaching. Jesus gives this illustration. He poses this question to the lawyer. Everyone else is listening in. Everyone else knows what the answer is in their head. It's obvious. The Samaritan guy, right? Who had compassion. Even though Jews, Samaritans, they don't, they don't you know, work together well. Who really showed this neighborly love? It was the Samaritan. So everybody knew the answer. And so it seemed like the lawyer was forced to say who it was. But he didn't bring himself to say the Samaritan. He said the one who showed him mercy. And that's what everyone's thinking. And you know what? Everyone knows how Pharisees think. Yeah? I think they, they were probably like looking at him like, oh, what is he going to say? Because they were treated so badly by the religious leaders. They knew that. They, they, they knew if they were poor, the Pharisees looked down on them. God has no favor on you. Yeah? If they were struggling with sickness, disease, ah, oh, stay away from me. Yeah? You're a sinner. You're unclean, right? So they were probably surprised, like, whoa, what are you going to say? Oh, whoa. They're probably going, whoa, you see that? The lawyer was part of that group, the Pharisees. The, and, and, and think about this. The lawyer was part of the group, like the priest who walked by, the Levite who, who went to the other side of the road. They were his buddies. That's the group he, he, he ran around with. And you know what? Most likely that's exactly what the lawyer would have done if he came upon a Jewish man half dead on the road. So I'm sure the crowd's like, whoa, whoa, you know, what's he going to say? But when the truth is staring you in the face, when what it is to do right is put before you, yeah, with everyone looking, the lawyer could only say one thing. Maybe his pride was on the line. Maybe he, he had to show this. Oh, the man who showed mercy. The man. Not the Samaritan, he couldn't say. But hey, Jesus brought... Can you see how incredible Jesus kind of orchestrated this, these things? It brought this lawyer face to face with the truth of what is right and where he was. Because he's like the priest. So Jesus challenges him, right? Jesus said to him, that's right, uh-huh, yeah. Now you go and do likewise. You go and do the same. It's like what he said earlier. Go and do this then. 
But then they had this dialogue, and then Jesus really brought him to that place again. How bold it was Jesus to tell this lawyer, to tell this expert on the law, you're not perfect, you know. You need to go do the same. So you see, Jesus is bringing this Pharisee, this lawyer, to his knees by exposing himself of this lack of perfection, exposing the Pharisee's lack of perfection and his need for God's help and mercy. So Jesus brings the Lord to the place to be challenged in his life, to live this out. So this is like the implementation of this story. You've got to implement this into your life. You've got to apply this. Back in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus said, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's what he's calling this Pharisee, this lawyer to do. He's an expert in the law. He knows all the tradition. He knows all the scriptures. He should know what the Father's heart is, right? And so, supposedly, this man, this expert, should know this, but I think he would have done what the priest and Levite did. He would have defined, yeah, the neighbor in a whole different way. So we end with this point. Compassion and love given to those considered unlovable is the sign of belonging to God. Here's this lawyer, this representative of God, Jesus saying, you know what? You go and do likewise. You live in this way. This is, this is my definition, what a neighbor is. So you need to do that too. This is God's definition. And as Christians, we got to do the same thing. Compassion and love given to those considered unlovable is a sign of belonging to God. You know, there's an old song. I remember we used to sing during the Jesus Movement days in uh, Calvary Chapel. And, and, you know, when I was first saved as a teenager, oh, it was pretty incredible. Just everyone's welcoming uh, heart and, and the love that flowed. The Holy Spirit was really strong. And I remember standing in church, and we stand in church and worship, or at the end of the Bible study, and we close out, or during some worship times, and, and everyone was standing, and we actually, everyone would go hand in hand, pre, pre-COVID days, <laughs> hand in hand, right? And we would sway back and forth, and we sing this song, and it went, love, 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 love. Christians, this is your call. Love your neighbor as yourself, for God loves all. And that's the heart of this, right? I, I, I feel like Jesus is saying, well, who's your neighbor? Well, anyone in need. And you know what? That's the way God loves. And the Good Samaritan showed exactly that. And this church, Calvary Chapel, and during the Jesus movement, all kinds of people came and were saved. All kinds of people came to church. All from different backgrounds, different races. But everyone was doing one thing, seeking Jesus, being filled with the Spirit, and studying the Bible. And God brought down all the borders. God brought down um, all the things that we tend to put up. And everybody became neighbors. And so God's calling us to do the same. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about that at all. It's not about, well, I'm going to set a border up because, well, 
I don't like what you did to me. me. No. It's just having compassion and loving because you know what? God is in us and God is in our heart. First John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So do you understand this lawyer sh- should have showed compassion or understanding of really what a neighbor is. The priest and the Levite should have shown compassion like this good Samaritan. If any of them represented God, it was the good Samaritan. And that's our call. That's how we are to live. And that's how how we should live without any regret. John Henry Jowett, when asked what he would do if he could do it all over again, you know what he said? I would major on compassion. I thought, wow, that's powerful if you think about it. Yeah. That's powerful. I think back, I, and I wish I had more compassion, you know. So let's major on compassion, not on our own self. Let, let's not be in bondage to this old sinful fleshly self and making borders. Yeah. Let's pull them all down. Let's not be like this family. I'll close with this one time. Chuck Swindoll shared, Pastor Chuck Swindoll shared how he remembered when he was a small boy, he went to church with his family. When they got there one time, there were some visitors. They were sitting in their usual seats. And, um, his mother turned to the father and said, Now, Earl, what do you think we ought to do? And the dad said, Well, love, I think we ought to go home. And they did just because people were sitting in their chairs. Isn't that crazy? Swindoll remembers thinking at that moment, There's something wrong with this picture. There's 300 other seats. Isn't that crazy? Something's wrong. How dare we, you know, oh, they're visitors. We should be welcoming them. We should be, oh, yeah, take my seat. That's all right. I'll go sit over there. But, ah, I'm going to go around to the other side of the road. They went all the way around back home. How dare we do those things? And how dare, you know, when we avoid those in need. So let us not be like that. But as we close, let us be like the good Samaritan. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we confess our sins, Lord, when those times we have gone around to the other side, when we put borders on our love and who we help, when we define what a neighbor is, who we are willing to help, God, when that is so different from how you define things. And so, Jesus, forgive us and cleanse us. And I pray right now by your spirit that you would empower us, Lord. Fill us, God, with your love and that we would take down the fences and we would take down our prejudices. We take down the, 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 the things that we have built up. Lord, I pray you would pull them down and you would free us, God, by the power of your love and by the power of your blood. God, help us to have compassion on those in need, no matter who it is, Lord. And let us be like this good Samaritan. Let us learn, Lord, 
as Jesus taught this to this lawyer. Help us to stop being lawyers about things, but help us to be loving others. Help us to be that tonight. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's been struggling in this, God, who, where, God, they've been hurt, Lord, or they're angry or they're frustrated with someone, or, or for a long time it's, it, it's come in between, Lord, them and someone else in a relationship, God. I pray that this would be a time of healing of that. This would be a time of, of putting away the excuses. And this would be a time, Lord, of having compassion on one another. Thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you for what we learn. Help us to implement it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord.